Welcome to Future Out Loud from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with Andrew Maynard, we bring you conversations with experts on and off campus where we think out loud about our collective future. In today's episode, Andrew and I sat down with visiting artist to ASU, Ken Eklund. Ken is a game writer and game designer, and we had a really interesting conversation about what is a game and how do people engage in games and gamification and gaming and what are the goals of games and what should the goals of games be and how can we use games in society and how are games impacting us in ways that we maybe want and ways that we maybe don't want so much. Uh, It was a really interesting conversation and we always like to find interesting rabbit holes and I think you'll find that we did go down a couple of those. You can find out more about Ken's work on his website, which is writerguy.com, W-R-I-T-E-R-G-U-Y.com, and on Twitter at writerguygames, W-R-I-T-E-R-G-U-Y-G-A-M-E-S. Before we get to the episode, as always, thank you for being with us on the Future Out Loud podcast. If you're not already subscribed to Future Out Loud, you can do that on iTunes or on SoundCloud or wherever you find your fine podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at Future Out Loud or on Facebook at Future Out Loud. Let us know what you think about what we're doing. And if you have ideas for people that we should talk to, we'd love to hear those. You can find some of, in fact, all of our old episodes uh, and show notes on our website, futureoutloud.org. I will mention that because we don't have a proper recording studio, uh, there's one point during this episode where it actually gets quite loud outside of where we're recording. So there's a little bit of an interruption, but I'd like to hope that it just gives you the flavor of the uh, engagement that happens around where we work at Arizona State University. Uh, So don't be alarmed when you hear the noise and, and sorry for the interruption that it makes to our podcast conversation. Thank you very much for listening. And now on with Ken Eklund. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Heather. Hi, Ken. Hello. Thank you for being here with us. Oh, great. Welcome. And and I should say today for the podcast, but also at ASU, you're a visiting artist. That's correct. So tell us what is that? What are you, what kind of art are you creating while you're here? <laughs> Well, there isn't really a simple answer. Excellent. Uh, it's not like uh, <laughs> I do paintings or sculpture or something like that. Not to say that paintings or sculpture are necessarily simple. But it's a simple answer. Yes. yes. That's Good. all. That's all I'm saying. I am not maligning any, uh, <laughs> anybody in the arts. Um, I, I'm a game designer mm-hmm. um, by background, mm-hmm. and so I work in games and play. I guess you would say as something of a performative medium so the audience is kind of actually part of the work or the work itself so okay what kind of games because i immediately think well we have uh role-playing games we have board games we have video games we have logic puzzle games is 
I mean, is that too... What are performative games? Yes. That's a very good question. (laughs) (laughs) So I really look um, very widely at the definition of game. Mm -hmm. And we tend to think of something as something where somebody is imposing some rules that you're following, Mm etc. Whereas I look more for the the sort of playful aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So for me, a, you know, a really nice game is the game that just kind of emerges, mm-hmm. like yeah. between a parent and their son or daughter, for right, example. Right, right. Or, or more like kids' games where you're just out there and you're just making exactly stuff where oh, where you're okay. just playing. Yeah. And so kids' games is really a very good kind mm-hmm. of analogous situation. What are the kids' games? for adults, Mm. which are actually Mm. about something as opposed to just kind of, I mean, in in kids' lives, I mean, they're playing, their play, of course, is tremendously important. I mean, they are working out how the world works when they're doing that. And adults need the same sort of thing. And so that's kind of the situation that I try to create. Of course, we we adults, we, we know a lot. Um, so it can be kind of hard I can to induce a, the play <laughs> state. Right, right, um, right. But with um, a little elegance and thought, uh, I think it can be done. So when you do this, I, what are the sorts of things you're trying to achieve? Is it just getting people to be creative or enjoy themselves? Or do you have a specific set of goals? Well, I, I have a specific set of goals most of which is involved with actually getting adults to play. Just because I think that's kind of a healthy and wonderful thing to have Mm -hmm. happen. Um, And so a lot of my energy is really focused upon that invitation to play that actually will, Mm -hmm. that adults will take up. Okay. Um, But there, I also know my games usually have some sort of partner or sponsor Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and they're concerned about something. So they're concerned about climate change or they're concerned about some other social problem. They're they're concerned about social coherence or Mm -hmm. community resilience or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so I want that to be in the context of of the play. But of course adults, also being adults, um, the play is very complex and it kind of goes over and it, it goes all over and it exists on many different levels Mm -hmm. and so it's one of the aspects is to try to make it open make that invitation such that people can kind of play wherever they are the game kind of comes to meet them Mm -hmm. and play with them wherever they are in like thinking about a problem or Mm -hmm. thinking about their lives or uh, that sort of thing yeah so maybe you could use an example yeah, that would be helpful would that be because helpful? there, but there is a different, um, there is a a, diff, a slightly different rabbit hole that I would like to poke our heads into. But let's talk about your example. Well, it, so uh, I did this game called World Without Oil, and okay. I did that back in two thousand and seven. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, if you remember, very go go time for mm-hmm. the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like growth is unlimited, you know, etc. Um, for that game, I just imagined well what would it be like if we were to to go into an oil crisis now if the world were mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then how would our lives change and so i created a website where when you went to the website they the people on there were all pretending that an oil crisis had indeed begun and people were sending in their stories about how their lives had changed now that we are in an oil crisis mm-hmm. okay. so there was this, this sort of playful mm-hmm. thing you just go to the website and then nothing breaks the fiction of the fact that there's an oil crisis. And so you're encouraged by seeing all these other people do it to send in 
to think about, well, how would my life change? Okay. Um, and then send in stories. And of course, people have already submitted theirs. And mm -hmm. so you're kind of building upon what they've done. Right. Okay. Right. And so it ran for a month and mm -hmm. like 1,500 people actually contributed things. And there was a, a population of 60,000 or more. We weren't very good at actually counting up how many people did it. Mm -hmm. um, and the result was this sort of very unique, multi-threaded story told kind of exclusively, you know, through... Oh, interesting. Um, so, so the part people participating, right? So mm -hmm. the participants actually began to develop and evolve this story. Absolutely, right. Mm -hmm. So, right. so, and that's really what I'm looking for. Mm. Is so, so when you're saying what are well the results that I want, I want to start that dialogue, right? Okay. Right. But I, I don't have any desire to see that conversation go any particular way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know anything about oil crises or, okay. you know, yeah. energy policy. I don't have any axe to grind um, regarding that. But I do know that a lot of people really invested themselves in the game. Mm -hmm. That it really struck a, a nerve for them. There was a, a woman who was writing us from Youngstown, Ohio, mm -hmm. and and this was her opportunity to essentially let us all know what life was like in Youngstown, mm -hmm. you know, and kind of where it sat in the history of oil, right? You know, and what happened, what happened to Youngstown, you know, what mm -hmm. is still happening, um, the, their situation, and so each of the games that I do, there's always somebody very surprising I've you know there's no way I could have imagined it mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. the game captivates them in some way okay and they really come forward with these very authentic very heartfelt so in so in that one I clearly you had ordinary citizens participating did you have any corporate types try and participate as well so people from all companies for instance we did <clears throat> Um, one, one in particular, but he posted under a pseudonym, okay. and he would not let us know exactly where he worked because right, he, right. um, he didn't want to suffer the ramifications. Mm -hmm. sure. of it. Yes. But he gave us indeed the, <clears throat> the oh, that's very interesting. The perspective from the other side right, of the, right. the counter. So, for people who were engaging that particular game, weren't but weren't um, you said of sixty thousand people who engaged the game or played the game um only 1500 which and 1500 is a lot of people shaping mm -hmm. a narrative um what so how did others who were not contributing directly to the narrative was it a game that like did you play through some scenarios and then you win or lose or how did that work because i i mean i think of games as like a you know, you do a thing and then you, like, somebody In wins. In to win. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> so, so there was, it wasn't a game, um, the, the purpose of the game was indeed to create that narrative. Uh-huh. So, so that was, in, and so everybody wins, you know, uh -huh. who indeed contributed. And the, you know, your, there was indeed a scoring system. Okay. We, we had a leaderboard, so to speak, but we kind of buried it on the site. Oh. So the people who really get motivated by leaderboards mm -hmm. sure. could find it right. and be motivated by it. But people who get turned off by leaderboards hopefully wouldn't dig as deep. Okay. We wouldn't find it. They wouldn't be turned off. We never publicized it or the okay. we didn't. We had a points system and we never publicized that either. So we, we very much wanted it to be a collaborative game. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a a game that you might play around the campfire mm -hmm. 
you know, where you're just mm-hmm. adding to each other's right. stories yes. and yes. kind of building a story. And then the that accomplishment that you make at the end is really the result of the game. Okay. So it's not a game where there's losers, you know, okay. hopefully just winners. But yet you can accumulate points and have some kind of quantitative metric of what you're doing. We really wanted to acknowledge yeah. the people who did indeed contribute. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So... One of the things that, and this is going to tip my hand in all kinds of (laughs) just gross spilling ways. Um, So one of the things that we see in a very widely engaged way right now is um, people engaging in politics. Um, And very obviously, to me at least, doing that using very classic, simple principles of game theory to influence policy and to influence others' engagement in Mm -hmm. this game of politics. Um, That is very troubling to me um, that we have, it seems to me, gamified (laughs) the way that we govern in this country. So is the question, is this just exacerbating this, or is this... Well, no, I mean, my, I get, are there things that, that we can learn from the, mm. you know, artistry of game design that we can say, okay, well, this is, you know, um, such a core element of human behavior that, um, you know, we must acknowledge that any time you put more than one person or even really one person together, um, this is something that humans are going to do. Or is this something that we, as a society, might say, hold on a second, maybe this is not Mm. the path that we want to be walking down. Well, I I certainly think that there's something about games that does indeed, you know, speak um, kind of directly to who we are as human beings. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of that, which is really a primal thing. There's a reason that children play, um, you know, when they're growing up. I mean, that is Mm -hmm. indeed a learning mechanism. But, But of course, the games that we're talking about are really kind of these strange structures which have been created. Mm-hmm. And I think that we are seeing in, in many ways kind of the backlash from the fact that our lives have been kind of gamified so much mm-hmm. already. You know, this is just another manifestation of the, the game which is capitalism, mm-hmm. you know, and, and other games, other social structures that we have that really are are pretty gamified already. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's important to kind of bring up other ideas about games other than Mm -hmm. zero-sum games where somebody wins and somebody loses. Um, And and I think that game, to look at games and kind of what's going on through the game lens, um, Mm -hmm. it's very important to kind of understand why people are motivated to do what they do Mm -hmm. and then to understand how they can be motivated in different ways. Yes, You know... um, there's a lot of dependence that we have. I mean, right now there's kind of this understanding that essentially we have one point system for our lives, which is dollars. Yeah. You know, and, and dollars is what matters and nothing else matters. But, you know, I think that that sort of perception, that sort of game structure is incredibly easy to upend. Sure. Because everyone knows an example of what they would rather have than money right mm-hmm. or rather do than have money mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it's played out constantly kind of in our popular culture I mean you know the when you when the suitcase of money appears in a movie yeah you know that's this crucible 
that begins to test everyone that it comes into contact with. Right, right. And the hero is a person who doesn't care that it's a suitcase full of money. Yes, and I think that that's convenient for us to point to in a movie. Um, just last night, I was talking with my kids about uh, Appalachia, and they, being children of Arizona, were not familiar with that part of mm -hmm. our country. Um, and I was explaining to them that the last time I was in West Virginia was, uh, for really in West Virginia for any period of time, was uh, with my grandparents when I was 10 years old. And I remember that trip, we were visiting friends of theirs um, for two things in particular. One, I learned how to shoot a gun, which seemed very uh, otherworldly to me at the time. And two, um, I remember that there was no running water right. in this house that otherwise felt like a, a house, mm -hmm. except that when you wanted water, you had to go out to the hand pump right, outside pump and you had to pump water into a pail and you had to watch what you were doing because when the water started to run red, you had to take the pail away and keep pumping until the water was clear again. And when you wanted to go to the bathroom, it was an outhouse with a proper toilet, but you had to take two pails of water with you to flush the toilet that the water could be red, it didn't matter, right? So I was explaining this to my children and they said, well, mom, that was, you know, that was like in a different <laughs> century because, you know, surely there is running water throughout all of Appalachia. And I said, I don't think there is. I don't think there is. And so I think that the narrative to, and I think we, we, you know, sitting in the wonderful ivory tower um, often, you know, can resort to that narrative where we say, well, clearly the hero narrative, the hero is the guy or the lady who, when presented with the suitcase of money, finds something, you know, far beyond the, you know, But, but it's easy to say if you've already got stuff. If, if you you've already got stuff, yeah. that's yeah. exactly yes. it. So that yes. was a very long way to say that I yes. think that there are so many inequalities that the people but, who have the voice right. are not the people who... But, but what does interest me here is that I, through the medium of, of games, you can begin to explore other values and other value systems. Mm -hmm. Well, it, yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. So... And, and you're exposed to them, you know, in, yes. a, in a game like this. Yep. You hear, you know, I mean, you know, some people write in from their different experiences. And the oil crisis, I mean, it was one of the things about it is through this method, people kind of live through the oil crisis that they imagined. Sure. Mm -hmm. But these stories sit right next to each other. And so mm -hmm. here you have a city which is just kind of falling apart, uh -huh. you know, under all the stresses. And here, here you have a place where a community is really kind of gathered together and, okay. you know. And so... You begin to go well. Which city, do, you know, do I, what? What? Which city do I live in? You know, sure. what sort of person am I? Yeah. And what's the difference there? Why is this happening over here and this, mm -hmm. you know, happening over here? You know, kind of perceived yeah. um, to be that way. And so, the games are really good for bringing up a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. You know, and so that people can kind of reflect upon yes, that later. Yeah. So um, it strikes me as well, and getting back to your point about the gamification of things mm -hmm. and this yeah. idea of, of winners and losers, mm -hmm. um, it strikes me from this conversation that, that the game is, is just the medium within which we play, and it's a medium you can't avoid, mm -hmm. but how you use that medium then becomes really sure. important. Right. And, mm -hmm. and how you play, mm -hmm. I think, is, is, is an aspect of 
um, kind of any sort of game system. Mm -hmm. You know, when we talk about the the gamification of politics, for example, Mm -hmm. we should remember that there is indeed this alternative where you um, turn the game board over you know, or you stop playing, mm-hmm. you rage quit, you know, there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's what happens when the game is broken. And, mm-hmm. and you know, well, I think a lot of what we're seeing now is we're seeing, you know, kind of broken game structures right. coming yes. down to their logical end, you know, where you just go, well, this, this game isn't fun for anyone anymore. Right, right. So, yeah, in my house, that happens every time we play Monopoly. <laughs> every Which is such time. an unfair game anyway. There's one yes. person <laughs> surrounded by money, and nobody yes. else will talk to them for the rest yes. of the day. <laughs> yes. yeah, I, I've yet to find anybody that actually really enjoys Monopoly. Monopoly. Yeah. Apart from those that, that always seem to get the right. high value. Right. Yeah. Now, now, do you know the history of Monopoly? No. I know it's so, Atlantic City. Y- well, beyond before that. Okay. So... You know, I'm trying to think how reliable are my sources on this. But <laughs> it's, a it's my understanding. Yeah, we can put disclaimers in. Here. It's, it's my understanding that Monopoly was developed as an anti-Monopoly lesson by a woman. I had this, and then yeah. Parker Brothers came and said, "You know, actually, that's kind of fun." And then so they came and turned it into the Atlantic City version that we oh, have. Interesting. So, so very definitely, you know, it's an interesting thing about games is how much they reveal about. Mm-hmm. You know the mindset, yep. the ideas of the person who, you know, invented mm, it. Yes, yeah, very, yes. very revealing. Yeah. But but just as on a another dimension to that as well, I find it fascinating, especially looking at Monopoly, in how games like that actually bring out people's true values. And people yes. will claim it's just a game, so I can mm-hmm. pretend to be the villain. And yet you look how invested people are, especially with Monopoly, when they actually mm-hmm. begin to monopolize the board. And you can see the glee with which they completely squash other people. That's right. And it's got to reveal something about their inner workings. Well, I think you get to that <laughs> even before then. Right. Because it's who wants to be the banker. And, <laughs> right. how, and who wants to be the shoe? Well, well doesn't. Right. Yes. <laughs> but, but, but I think it's who wants to be the banker and is all of the money facing the same direction. Right. Right. Like right. that reveals really, I think, important things about people. <laughs> well, well, you're bringing up something, you know, which is very dear to my heart, which is that, you know, you, because you are in this play space, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. people do feel freer, yes. you know, to be kind of an authentic version, to be an alternate version. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it, it is very liberating. And that's one of the reasons that people come to it. You know, if it's well mm-hmm. constructed and they can, they feel safe to be mm-hmm. in that space, yep. you know, it's, it's my belief that that you get more honest results mm-hmm. from these sorts of things right. than you might yeah. otherwise because those sorts of the sort of masks that you put on mm-hmm. um, you know in other interactions you know in a game you can take those off you can take yeah. those off yeah. yeah interesting so how now you you the world without oil that was 10 years ago yeah so if you were to revisit that particular idea, how would you do it differently today? Oh, I, I don't know. It might not be oil. Or um, I'm sure. Okay. So, so the, you know, the, strangely enough, the idea behind World Without Oil doesn't actually depend on oil. That was just mm-hmm. kind of the thing which was right at the time okay. right, to get people right. um, talking. There was... I think there was just this feeling that that a shoe was going to drop, okay. you know, essentially from from that time. And that was when I submitted the application for it. It was actually in two thousand and five, um, and 
so so even even more um in in hurricane katrina had happened in mm-hmm. before that was 2006 i believe and mm-hmm. so so it happened right before the world without oil game itself and so that kind of brought up this whole idea that as a matter of fact you could have crises mm-hmm. and the government wasn't going to save you mm-hmm. right. you know the government wasn't actually going to be a positive contributor yes and and actually the government maybe was just going to try to spin it mm-hmm. and so you know the citizen nerve center is the way to kind of counteract the governmental spin and what's actually happening in the crisis and so i would look Today I would look again for what is that thing that would kind of bring us together where everyone felt like they had something to contribute, right. yeah. you know. Um, and I'm not sure what that sort of glue would be, um, but it may be the um, the whole uh, polarization right, of right. politics, you yes. know, but, and, but it and feels trying like to find that ground. It feels like it has to be something that threatens or people feel as if they're threatened by across a, a wide range of different socioeconomic backgrounds. Right, yeah. Mm. And so, you know, I mean, you know, Hollywood, of course, would answer with, like, this is time to bring in the asteroid, you know, right. or, or, or sure, something like right. that. But um, it's got to be real to people, presumably. Right. I, I, I think you, there's ways of doing, mm. you know, there's there's a range of, you know, how much people will actually kind of get into your fiction. Yeah. You know, it's it's like, I mean, when zombies were kind of big, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, that Everybody, was really yes. wide everywhere, you know. Yeah. And it's yes. like, well, zombies, I mean, that's not so realistic. Mm-hmm. Maybe um, a Russian disruption of our electoral system, mm-hmm. for example. You know, it, but it, it could be something entirely natural, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, some sort of high energy burst in the sun, which mm-hmm. fries electronics everywhere. Uh-huh. Right, yes. And so yeah. then all of a sudden, you know, with these systems really begin into fall so yeah so something like that sure um would be something that i would evaluate i don't know whether any of those things would actually Post hurricane I, puerto rico maybe although it yeah. again is specific to that region it I mean, is, the, yeah. it's interesting to sort of see how people separate from that would actually mm-hmm. engage in it but i think that if it, and i think that's such an interesting case because if you're on that island that is it, right? That right? is reality. Yes. But yeah. when because Puerto Rico is a territory of the United States and it's it's othered in that way, the governing bodies, right, are so separate from it. Right. But but here's an interesting rabbit hole, and we were talking earlier about rabbit mm-hmm. holes. So you go back to your scenario of what would happen if we had a solar flare that that fried a lot of our electronics. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden we didn't have these phones and things. Right. Um, and the sort of middle class American approach is to say, how awful, how am I going to live? How am I going to survive? How mm-hmm. am I going to get through this catastrophe? Yes. But then you link it to Puerto Rico. Yes, people yes. live with this every day of the, mm-hmm. the year. Yeah. Yes. Um, so exactly. this is a very privileged position where we yes. get scared of losing these things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. A patient just asked me last week, um, how would, what would happen to me? This patient had, um, I think just a pacemaker, which is not to say that a pacemaker is just a pacemaker, but um, uh, what would happen to me if the, uh, if North Korea has an EMP weapon? Mm-hmm. And I, we had to talk about science fiction. <laughs> I had to remember which movie it was that that started off the movie. I think it might have been Independence Day, but now I can't remember. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, so it's interesting to me that that kind of mm-hmm. you know gamified fiction people really think about they, that. They do, and they think yeah. in these ways. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it's an interesting thing that that these sorts of fictional things 
can have more grip than, you know, kind of mundane things like hurricanes. Mm-hmm. That's um, right. You know, I mean, the Puerto Rico situation, in, in some ways, you know, does that have something to do with the fact that it is indeed a, a phenomenon that happens regularly? Right. I mean, this one wasn't regular in right. any stretch right, of the imagination, right. but... Um, it's but hurricanes happen. Right. And, and yeah. from the game point of view, I'm, I mean, that's something that I can use. Mm-hmm. You know, you come up with the intriguing situation, which kind of presents this series of questions about, mm-hmm. well, how would my life change? Um, and people find it, I won't necessarily say enjoyable. I guess that's in part that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. But they find it intriguing, right? Sure. You know, to go into that investigation. Yeah. So do you think that. This is probably a loaded question. Do you think that um, encouraging people to engage in gameplay and complex gameplay could help to move society away from this set of zero-sum expectations to be able to engage more complex types of thinking? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. So how, in <laughs> so your how are you expert do opinion, this? yeah, how are you going to do this? How can you do this? Well, no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's a territory which um, is very big and and it has relatively few explorers in it. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a a multiplicity of answers um, to that question, you know, things that people are doing. Um, I have a lot of confidence actually in having someone... um, develop sorry we just have a little bit of noise outside of our non-soundproofed studio (laughs) all right carry on let's let's see carry on i I think that someone can develop um an activity which is very for a small group of people which is very viral Mm -hmm. so you can think about it as kind of local like a local theatrical performance that you know that you could put on in just a little neighborhood stage Mm -hmm. or something like that um, but which would be kind of a game sort of relationship. Okay. If it was very portable um, and it was very intriguing and kind mm-hmm. of gave you an opening into thinking about the future, I could see that going kind of everywhere. And, and there are examples from history about how the theater productions, the theater mm-hmm. production of Uncle Tom's Cabin, for example, mm-hmm. um, was much more widely participated in than the book was. Mm -hmm. Uh And so, you know, in some ways, in defeating slavery, um, you know, Uncle Tom's Cabin, the book, depended upon the theatrical production element of it, you know, to kind of spread Mm -hmm. and reach a lot of people that didn't read, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So so I think people who are kind of experimenting in, like, street games and Mm -hmm. other things, there's a lot of potential for doing change there. Okay. but of course, we also see kind of things happen online in right, sort yes. of massive ways, yep. and so mm-hmm. that's where my interest is. Okay, all right. Um, one of the things that you said uh, about creating something that's viral, there's uh, certainly a school of thought that says you can't control a virus. You know, it for something to be, it has to be this. You know, an organic. You know phenomenon so how do you create something that's viral i mean and p.s if you knew could you tell us like could you tell (laughs) us because we all would have won the game then (laughs) well i I think that 
I'm, I'm not sure how many people actually create something that's viral. Mm -hmm. I think people create things and then they turn out to be viral. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, yes. And, and even in the example of Uncle Tom's Cabin, um, you know, the, the other side of that question is, yes, it, it turned into this very widespread phenomenon, mm -hmm. but there were kind of pro-slavery versions of Uncle Tom's Cabin. Mm. Oh. And, and you can also just say, you know, it didn't... We didn't do a very good job about handling slavery, I mean, mm -hmm. which is why we're in uh, so much of the situation that we're in right now. I mean, the, it, we've always been in that situation. Mm -hmm. We're becoming aware, I, sh mm -hmm. I should say. Yes. Um, and so the answer <coughs> really about <coughs> creating that sort of thing is, you know, if it goes viral, it goes viral. And it, it has its sort of effect. I'm just hoping that it gets people to think more about things mm -hmm. right yes right and and that that in the end will be a good thing but that doesn't mean that it, it's going to clearly be a good thing mm -hmm. right from the beginning you know midway through or or whatever right yes. right but in a sense I mean, isn't this what artists try and do anyway they try and create something that that not only gets people thinking and starting a conversation but they want that to propagate out as well yeah That's exactly it. yes yes so so I guess that leads me then to um, ask so you're a visiting artist at yeah. ASU so what are you what are you accomplishing or what well, what are what, you, what are you planning to accomplish yeah. yes this year <laughs> well i'm i'm actively working with the group that's putting on emerge mm -hmm. so emerge in the festival in of the futures festival of futures yeah. in yes. march of 2018 um, the theme is space habitat Mm -hmm. and it should be pretty interesting. So that takes up a lot of my time. We're doing a lot of ideation about that right now. Um, I'm working on a, a project called Clockwork World Human Hands, and it is kind of along the lines of what I was just mentioning about this sort of theatrical mm -hmm. thing. Um, basically, the idea is that the theatrical stage is a game platform in mm -hmm. a theater group are people who would love to run a game. Okay. So what do they need in order to make it very easy for them to actually put a game on where they interact with their audience? Right. Okay. And so if you can imagine writing, instead of a script, writing a set of game rules. Mm -hmm. So instead mm -hmm. of learning lines for a character, yes. you learn how to internalize how that character behaves right. in relationship yes. with the others. And, you know, so very simple rules and, mm -hmm. you know, that someone can actually kind of embody on stage. So is that, that's improvisational comedy in many respects? Yes, yes? it is. It's a, it's a very same form. And okay. well, it's not, I shouldn't say the very same form. It's, it's the same basic school. But of course, improv, people have internalized a bunch of rules about how to do a successful improv. Yes. Right. You know, yes. how to, what ideas to choose so as to feed other ideas. Here, there's more of a structure, mm -hmm. so okay. you don't have to be a good improv person. You know, you, uh, you really have to be a good actor. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing is the, I think the correct subject for this game is to play out on stage a version of the next 60 years of planetary history. Right, oh. right. Okay. So, so like one of the characters on the stage is the ocean. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so you begin to see what's going to happen with the ocean, how it's going to interact, you know, mm -hmm. with the land and okay, with the right, atmosphere, right, right. but with humans also and kind of human ideas and, and mm -hmm. whatnot mm -hmm. um, 
to see all of these things kind of working together on stage and then as the audience you have some way of, of applying some sort of input right okay. clearly that's the thing a big clockwork gears that you can't mm -hmm. stop but you maybe can slow down okay or right okay. right oh, right you know yes. and so you don't expect to be able to direct the action and you probably don't but you want can modulate to. it in some degree yeah you yeah, you, you can, can be the butterfly flapping its wings in mm -hmm. Brazil. Exactly. Yeah. You know, are you the butterfly flapping its wings in the right spot? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But also just the spectacle of, you know, a version acted out by people, by actors on stage right. of planetary history. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about how that would have reflected the last 60 years, you know, what would have happened? Right. right. You know, how that would have um, manifested itself. And then to see that kind of extend forward to the next, to some version of the next right. 60 years. Yes, yes. Conceptually, I think it's going to be kind of a great and intriguing spectacle. Mm -hmm. and so that's mm -hmm. why I'm pursuing it. So is this presumably is all tied in with Emerge? Is the expectation to do something around Merge, Emerge with this? It, or? There, there is, but not this project. This project oh, okay. is something this, this is, I, I'm that, doing that's, entirely separate. That's separately. what I was yeah. wondering. Right, okay. A side yes. Yes. yes, if you will. Yes. Yeah, because I'm, I'm not sure that this would play, that, that Clockwork World would play very well out in on the moon in the year 2175. Right, okay, right. But why not? <laughs> yeah. I guess, though, you have to know a set of things. You have to have a set of understood facts that we don't have about that. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, what's the, the... Well, first of all, the moon is not a planet. But <laughs> what is the, you know, history of the moon? Right, right. It's out there. <laughs> you mean for a long and time then, until yeah. somebody went and then, and like, visited. Yes. a couple yeah. of dudes, like, jumped up and down a few times. And then it's out there again. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there, 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 there plans to get a few more fixes. And it got some flags. But but who knows that'll change? And I mean, it's one of the interesting things that Emerge is grappling with right mm -hmm. now is kind of what is the moon, just mm -hmm. in terms of how do we view it and how do we view it as an opportunity for, you know, it's kind of like is that the new Australia? Are we going to send? people we don't like oh, sure. to the moon that's Mars no I think that's Venus no <laughs> uh, Mercury maybe um, one other thing I just wanted to mention mm -hmm. about, you know kind of about the games about the games that I do and that really has to do with the future mm -hmm. you know I, I think that one of the draws of these games um, and certainly one of the things that they that kind of can can um, be coherent for everyone that kind of can solidify the people is this idea that to construct a version of the future, mm -hmm. you know, collaboratively, yes. you know, and, and to kind of um, understand where everyone is going to be in that, you mm -hmm. know, so it, it is indeed when we're looking for something to kind of unify people, mm -hmm. the future, I mean, we're all going to be there. Right. That's right. That's you know, right. Um, so I guess we should, you know, revise. Ben Franklin's adage, the only things that are for certain are death, taxes, and the future. Because we'll Is that be it? there. That's right. That's right. All right, Ken, thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thanks for having me. For more where that came from, check out the School for the Future of Innovation and Society at sfis.asu.edu. Future Out Loud is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation and Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at ASU. Mark Van Hare created our music. Esmeralda Parker is our production assistant. Our website is futureoutloud.org. 
subscribe to Future Out Loud on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your fine podcasts.